Hey, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Transvox. And in front of me, resplendent in her NFL number 42 shirt and helmet, my good friend Jen. How are you, Jen? I'm very well, thanks, Jill. I, did you know that 42 is my favourite number? Well, it's the meaning of life, the universe, and everything, isn't it? So exactly. I'm not surprised. Yes, I knew you would go with it. <laughs> um, and also the number of, I think, Jackie Robinson, who was the first black player to break the colour bar in baseball. So they have a day in, I might have got this wrong, but they have a day in baseball where all the teams wear the same number, 42. Really? It's a really powerful number, 42. So, But, um, but yeah, of course, it's life, the universe, and everything. I like me NFL. Bet you can't recognise which um, team it is. So come on, and um, yes, you're right. Every year on the anniversary of Jackie Robinson's big league debut, the baseball world pauses to remember his unmatched contributions to the game. 1987, Commissioner Bud Selig made sure Robinson's work would be honoured for all time by permanently retiring his number 42. There you are. Ah, that's if you baseball. get nothing else, you get trivia like that on this podcast. It is, you know, else. they're going to come in handy on the... Um, on the you have to come, I hope you're coming to the, the quiz in December that we're the whole day online. So, uh, Oh, I'm up for that. I like a quiz. With, um, with trivia, triv knowledge like that, you're going to be a demon. <laughs> so which, very which, is your favorite, which is your favourite NFL team? Um, uh, the Denver Broncos. I don't know why. I like John Elway. He was a quarterback. See, I'm I'm so geeky for talking about sports, yeah. and I feel bad because in baseball, my team is is the Boston Red Sox, oh, the Red and Sox. the reasoning is because I always think you should support support your local team, right? I'm in Stoke. I support Stoke, and um, I worked out that Boston was the nearest um, uh, oh. baseball team to Stoke. So yeah, I see. So then my like local team. What about hockey as well? Because you've got to you've got to do the ice hockey thing as well, isn't it? Hockey or is that Canada? I'm thinking of. That's Canada. It's, it's that's baseball, I don't know. baseball, rugby, football, and what's the third American sport? Well, um, M NBA basketball and basketball. baseball are the bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm sure that's sporting knowledge. Oh, I listen. If somebody said paint drying was a sport and commentated on it, I'd probably watch it. I'm terrible. I love sport. I'm a so can't play any like? of it. What was it you like about it? I don't know. I like I like the geekiness of it. I th I like the stats. understanding rules. Not really stats as such, but like the rules, the structure. So um, I spent a lot of the weekend watching uh, the the world sport climbing, bouldering, and lead. I love that. I love just learning about stuff. I think it's it's that it's that geek part of the Venn diagram of trans. I guess there's something quite mesmerizing about certain sports as well as like when i was a kid i remember at school you know between school holidays and things being allowed to watch the selling because that's when we could and we i think i think we had two or three channels i know certainly i certainly remember the time when we only had one but anyway we used to watch the racing and um, because my my um, my uncle used to like the racing but he used to like the waterloo and I don't know if you've come across the waterloo well, that was crown green bowling well it was a particular sort of bowling so basically it's Normal crown, crown green. green is well. Normal crown green is a flat track, a beautiful pitch, and what and the water loop was was just like a big field with holes in, and and it wasn't it wasn't smoothed out that well. So basically, everybody went round and round it like a. It was really interesting, and oh, so right. bit, and you could absolutely else. judge people because of course they were playing competitive matches, a bit like um like a dancing competition when they're all oh, on right. the dance floor at the same time. You know, it's like a I forget I forget it's, I forget the name of that. Um, 
like a promenade type sort of idea. Oh, right, yeah. And I remember watching the Waterloo for hours. It was just so absorbing, you know? Yes. I think it's just something to take my mind away <laughs> for the harsh realities of life. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I do, uh, I do, I do, uh, I do. I can't play see, any of it. But you see, what's interesting about this is that, funnily enough, I mean, this is apropos absolutely nothing, but it's there's something very good for your brain in doing that thing where you absorb yourself and what happens is your brain sort of switches down and reduces and relaxes and anxiety drops and your mm. parasympathetic nervous system raises and you relax so reading a good work of fiction is similar and you find that sort of the the stress hormone cortisol drops out of your system when you are absorbed in something that's interesting yeah so i never thought about like that the doctor recommends Think things that absorb, and that's why. Whilst people talk about computer games as being, um, I mean, computer planes are slightly different because they're sort of stimulating the dopamine systems. But yeah, if you are absorbed in something, it's it's very good for your body because all your patterns of breathing change, your limbic system cools. It's it's so good. It's actually really good for resilience. Bizarrely enough, who who knew? And did I didn't, and um, and now I can justify uh, yeah. spending far too much time on computer games. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that I need. To, I was to, thinking about reading works of fiction. I don't know if you do much reading, do you? Do you, do you I don't do these days. I used to be voracious. Yeah. I don't think my um, tension deficit adult brain copes with uh, concentrating too much. Audiobooks are all right. I can listen to them. Yes. And of course, neurodiversity and um, ADHD, it's just like, there's a big cross between that and our community, isn't there? So should we talk ADHD today a little bit and talk about how that works for you? I, I can do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, it's interesting. I think, yeah, I definitely think I've read a study about um, people with autism, um, as well as people who are trans. There's been, it's not causation, but there's, uh, mm. there's the, there is uh, the correlation there. Um so yeah, I've not had official. When I say AD, I'm not an official diagnosis. My brother has, but I know I have some of those traits. I think, um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting subject because I think more and more, you know, even ten years ago, everybody we're talking about it now, and and people of a generation like ours are having diagnoses. My my, you know, my my brother had a diagnosis in his in his fifties, um, and it's been brilliant for him, but. Um, so I think I think we're talking about more and more, and I certainly I'm at work as well as how do we make the world more accessible for everybody, you know, and uh, I, I think that's so really important. So what are the sort of adjustments you need to think about when you're working or dealing with other people with neurodiversity? What sort of accommodations do you make at work to create a, that inclusive culture? Well, I don't think we do enough at the moment. But sometimes, for instance, um, th think about how we recruit people and, um, you know, particularly, the, you know, I work in the NHS, the public sector, and I, I can't speak for the private sector. But in many ways, NHS recruitment hasn't really changed that much over the years. So basically, sit in front of, you know, get through a shortlist, sit in front of a panel of people and answer a bunch of questions, right? Um, which, to me, tests a certain brain type. Mm -hmm and not others and you know um so we started to talk about would it be better actually to share the questions beforehand you know for people who process information differently so they can actually maybe research some people may better their brain type may be better at researching question would that be more useful and coming you know coming with an answer rather than expecting people to perform 
Um, or just again, you know, in meetings, how, how accessible we are to people who may need, you know, when people are talking over each other and things like that may be more difficult. I'm no expert on this subject, but I do know, I don't, I think we need to examine everything we do mm. because, because as, a, as a trade union representative, I've so often over the years I've represented people who we've discovered they've had um, some neurodiversity when maybe they've been off cycle struggling with the job and then we've found them testing particularly things like dyslexia and things and that people have learned to cope and mask yes you know just as we cope and mask ourselves pre-transition i guess but to a degree but i mean um yeah i've seen that over the years and i i think the conversation's there now but whether we do enough whether we've moved enough um um to be accessible for for everybody and it and it just would be more in it, it, was, it was it was interesting it was very very topical so i don't know when the you know um this may may not go out just yet but i've just been following the um the covid inquiry oh, online yes. which is pretty horrific but one of the things was some of this was just pretty horrific but one of the things was mentioned in there the lack of diversity yes. within that uh within the the people who were leading the country at the time, mm-hmm. not talking about diversity in, in, in the traditional sense, but diversity of life experience and diversity, I guess, of brain and thought mm-hmm. um, and experience. And, and it made me think about that. You know, we, we, you know, there are so many people we're missing out in, in, in great jobs because the way we set ourselves up isn't, isn't, it can be a barrier, I think. But I, as I say, I, I, listen, I'm no expert on the subject at all, but I, at least we're having a conversation. Yeah, I think I think what's fascinating about it is this idea that it's suddenly appeared. It's it's another one of these overnight sensations, isn't it? Like the old left-handedness thing that suddenly, yeah, yeah. you know, suddenly left-handedness is recognised, and we had this massive uptick in how many people were left-handed, and then it plateaued. And it's and it's a bit like, you know, when I was younger, I remember ADHD being what naughty children did because you know, they used to run around they couldn't sit still had tons of energy had loads of ideas they couldn't concentrate they were extremely messy all that sort of stuff and there is a and whilst there is a rush to medicalize it is being very um comforting for some people to actually get that validation that that it's that that what they're experiencing is an actual thing rather than just being a, yes. a, a set of curious things which don't make sense and therefore you know you're sort of struggling to adapt to them so now there are there are accommodations there are things of ways, ways of working up with the world and whether it's ocd or autism or, or adhd whatever it is that in that spectrum i know we don't use the word spectrum anymore but those sort of conditions it's I, I, for some people it's I, very comforting to get that diagnosis isn't that absolutely and I, and I certainly know in brother's case i think it was really a relief in a sense to that and not that I'm saying in a way being trans is a neurodiversity because it, it, it's not, but the sense of feeling at odds with the world and mask, you know, and trying to cope and not being able to be who you are. I think, I, I think people with neurodiversity, uh, many would, would recognize that, that difficulty because yeah. that, that's certainly a, a life pre-transition in, in, in certain ways. It's, it isn't a new diversity. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare it like that, but the, the feelings of, of disassociation with the world, you know, feeling, you know, yeah. that somehow you're not the same as that, or you're not coping the same, and the, the shame that that internally brought to me yeah. um, pre-transition. Um, I don't think it necessarily could be similar, I guess, to somebody who's, you know, you know trying to cope and finding ways to, to mask and cope with their new diversity with a world that, on the face of it, 
says you've got to behave like this. Yes. You know, socially you should be like this. And so, you know, and, and actually that's not the case. You know? But I don't think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. It is also when you, when you look at the, these whole areas, I mean, it is fascinating. I often wonder that, that when we talk to trans people, whether who, who are, have neurodiverse diverse conditions, and, and lots of people do. I mean, it's, it's a disproportionately high percentage of people have neurodiversity as compared to the standard population who, who are trans. So it's been researched many times and found to be sort of this, again, there's no emphasis on causation, but it's this fact that people are, whatever the reason, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, but and it is interesting when you're, when you're dealing and working with trans people, whether you need to figure out if you're dealing with, a, a, if you're dealing with a behavioral thing or you know, you're trying to collaborate or work with them, and it's not working well. Whether actually you have to deal with the the autism or the the neurodiverse condition rather than the transness, because I think people get confused about the two things. And I think sometimes people are saying, "Oh, you're like that because you're trans," rather than saying, "You're like that because you have a neurodiverse condition." And the fact that you're trans is irrelevant. It's it's a, well, it's, yeah. it's especially for managers. It's quite a it's quite a wrinkle, isn't it? Oh, I it's, it's, it's a it's a um. It's, a, it's just an extension of the idea that, you know, you know, the medical profession could put everything down to you being trans, you know, mm. your mental health, everything's to do with trans, which is it's just like, it's not, you broke your leg. Well, is that because you're trans? You know, it isn't obviously, but you know, and it's the same with the fact that doctor, you know, there's still that perception and some sort of quarters that it's a, in some way it's a mental illness and that, that's clearly not the case. And I think that's, I think that's the same. Yes, there are, you know, maybe there are higher percentages, but in some respects what does that matter yeah the point is that everybody's individual and um and you know true inclusion means of taking a cat side uh every individual in that respect as i say yeah um i i, I think it's really interesting it, it, just outside of the transfer just within my work how that we're starting i think to start to understand that but um i don't know interesting it is interesting and what is also interesting this week is a couple of questions that I've had, had sent in on the email wires uh, via the podcast. I thought we have a tackle of these because sometimes we find these questions quite interesting, don't they? Sometimes they cover all ground, but, um, um, you know, that's that's quite interesting. So we've had um, we've had a question in from someone who's uh, who says they're trans, um, fairly early stages, and they're coping with actually how do you manage the dysphoria of going backwards and forwards between sort of the two conditions of sort of male and female? They're having, obviously they're having to live some aspect of their life in the male form and some in the female form. And um, I just wondered if there's some, something we can give some advice on, obviously without being referencing the person, but it's a quite good question, isn't it? I think a lot of people wrestle with this thing. I think, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's applies to both trans men and and, and trans women at that yeah, i think that it is point. a trans man actually yeah yeah i think it is interesting that yeah i mean i because because i mean when i've talked to people about it before i mean the there is those stages in that first stage where you start to step out into the world you know i've been you know my brain i've been a girl since the age of 10 but didn't start to step out into the world until my 30s right you know behind closed doors doesn't matter and there's the immediate, you know, in a sense, part thrill, part euphoria, part terrified bit of that. But that becomes to grow and grow. And you do start to step out more and more, gain more confidence. 
and 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 that in, in that respect you're you're living on the positiveness of doing something for the first time and actually being you know if you're being accepted i think the point comes to where you are that you are more settled with that and then you sort of tip over into having to uh to be who you're not yeah. um you know and i think that that's where it's difficult i can the bit i can relate to is when you know because I knew I, I, it was easier for me because I knew I was going to transition at some point. But there was a period where I would, I guess, dress down when I went home to my parents. So, you know, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't. I, I, so that's as close as I can get. And I felt disappointed in myself for not being who I was in that period. But I didn't suffer, in a sense, a great dysphoria. It was once, in, once a week or once every couple of weeks. But definitely I can see that you, you come to a point that you may not be able to live your life fully because it may be work or somewhere somewhere else that feels at the time impossible but not the right time to do that that you know you're you you almost reverse into going back pre-transition where you're living the lie the lie is you know you're living the lie and then you're having to then pretend somebody you're not and i think that must be really difficult um i think the only the advice i would say is if you're if if you're on the path there is light at the end of the tunnel and that is it is a stepping stone, but dysphoria is not, it's too, I always think dysphoria is too small a word because dysphoria, I think just means unhappiness, doesn't it? Mm. But it, unhappiness doesn't really cover it. I mean, it is, it can be a soul crushing unhappiness. It can be, you know, it can really to your very being when you're um, having to be inauthentic to yourself in that way. Yeah. It's une unease or dissatisfaction. But the thing is, there's, there's levels of, actual dysphoria itself and then levels of being able to cope with it as well yeah so you can I mean, have a you can have huge dysphoria symptoms but you're actually able to cope with them and you can have quite low dysphoria symptoms but you're unable to cope with them and i think that's what people sometimes confuse here so sometimes and i think there's often a lot of judgment around this that somehow you, you should be doing it this way rather than saying actually in life you look at those two dimensions and you figure out which is right for you, really, isn't it? It's easier for people to say, oh, just just go for, you know, we used to call it going full time. Yeah. I don't know if these people still use that phrase, but going full time used to be the point. I've gone full time. Right? It's a weird sort of phrase in a way, but it, it says what it is. And it's in some way that you're, you're failing in not being able to go full time. But the realities and practicalities of life are different for everybody. See, you know, it was not difficult for me in my job and everything else and the fact i was on i hadn't got a family on my own that uh, other than my parents but there was no real barrier to me once i'd taken that step that was it you know yeah. never again i did have to wear any, any male clothing for instance um so it's easy that was easy for me but there's the, you can't judge anybody else if they're not able to do that because the pressures are there are, are so significant you know and and Therefore, the the anxiety or the the unhappiness, dysphoria, isn't any less because you've got no maybe you know just because it's no, that's going to be strong, isn't it? I mean, you know, uh, I imagine feeling frustrated. You'd feel really frustrated in that situation. Yeah. So Ali from Scotland says, "It's an interesting question: is what's been the biggest benefit and the biggest downside of being trans?" actually living trans for you we're both going to answer this one so i, yeah, I think absolutely. i the 
if I look back, what's the biggest benefit is, well, um, I've met some amazing people yeah. that I don't think I would have met. And I've been able to do some, I've had opportunities, I guess, that I would have never had, you know, speaking, to, you know, bit of public speaking and things like that, that I just wouldn't have. Um, so, um, you know, taking it, I'm sort of taking aside all the stuff about I'm feeling happy with myself and in, within myself and, and my body and everything else is, is that the opportunities and the people I've met have definitely been the, the best part of it. Yeah. Um, what was the second bit? What was uh, the, the, the downside, but that's, that's, I, I think, think the downside the at the downside moment is, is the UK in 2023. Yeah. You know, the downside is, is everything that's going on at the moment. And the, other than that, I didn't see, mm. Uh, you know how you know how we cope with that. God knows. But, um, yeah. I, I think I think for me, one of the biggest upsides has been this ability to see the world through two different lenses, yeah. almost. So, so for me, what was fascinating was when people talk about white male privilege, mm-hmm. and you don't really know what white male privilege is until you sort of lose it, and yeah. actually going trans femme for me. Um, I notice things which are really odd. Yeah. I mean, you notice what was called the male gaze suddenly. You know, as a as a uh, you know as a an older white male at the time when I was, you know, I was walking down the street and never thought twice about it. Now you you think twice about it, and you and you do that thing where you notice people looking, and you notice that you are looking, and you notice um, cis women looking. And you, and not necessarily because um, they're looking at you, it's because they look at everybody. Everybody looks at everybody else. And it's the extent to which people suddenly stop. And I know it's the thing in work where people sort of talk over you now a little bit yeah. more. And I have people explaining to me what things mean. And I sort of sit and look at them and think, I mean, actually, I was sitting in a meeting quite recently and someone ex- said to me, this is a counselling problem, and I don't know if you know what a triad is, but a tri- <laughs> and they began to explain what a triad is, and I'm thinking, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's not, it's like how 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 bizarre. I mean, do you really think that you know I'm somehow disadvantaged either because I'm trans femme or because I'm presenting as female or or this is how you deal with it? I didn't know whether to be flattered because the thought of me as female enough to talk down to me <laughs> or you know what i mean yeah. it's absolutely fascinating this thing about you you notice that um cis women they take up less space you notice that they don't walk down the center of places they stay to one side they notice how they defer you notice how in meetings that a strong woman will be seen as shrill or a bitch yeah um Whereas that's seen as being assertive or lead or leadership quality and a guy, you you, you saw, and I think it's quite fascinating. It gives you quite a unique perspective on the world to, to look at this, and it is. It always makes me. It always tickles me when when people who are sort of uh, maybe on the turf side of things look at look at us and say how terrible we are, and I don't think they realise that actually we're the, we're probably the people who are most aware of the the feminist issues, the need for real feminism in the, in the country, because we can see, we can actually see the difference in the way that everything is 
geared towards white male privilege and the patriarchy. I never thought I'd be ranting against the patriarchy 20 years ago. I mean, I always knew who I was, what, who, who I was, but I, I never, I never lived that. I wasn't living that life at that time. So no. for me, it's been quite, it's been quite fascinating, sort of going right to the other side of it. That is interesting. That is interesting. I mean, we spoke before about that. There is that. It is, a, in some ways, fascinating to have lived life from both sides in terms of that patriarchy. And um, and yeah, I mean, as I say, even in the, as I say, there is still so there is still that misogyny there. You only had to listen to the COVID uh, inquiry again today, where the yeah. subject of misogyny was caught in terms of the working cultures. You know that the that the somebody was trying to defend they'd referred to a, a it was it was, was that dominic who was swear referred to people in terrible language and he yeah. argued he referred to everybody the same men and women but the women he would reference stilettos who would reference and you can tell that's a bit there's always a bit you don't do that so she go out on her stilettos the and use the swear word there was a difference with how he referred to women hmm. right and it's and it and it's rooted in rooted in that misogyny but so I think I think that is a privilege of seeing that, and I, the bits I hate about myself sometimes is when I'm in those meetings, and I worry. I don't know if it's true or not. I worry if some of my learnt socialised behaviour as a privileged white male, right, comes across because the because we're all socialised in certain respects, and you know I, I don't, so that when I'm arguing a point in a meeting and stuff, do I still behave? I hope I don't. There's part of me worries that I do because I spent 30 years of my life with that being reinforced as a way to behave in terms of how I argue points and meetings. Yeah. And uh and, and I, I but you're absolutely right. I have noticed as well that people take less notice of what I've got to say, you know, that um um, you know, I I, I feel that uh I, I can feel that sort of exclusion on, you know, certain conversations, you know. Yeah. Um but um, so I think there's that, that's an interesting aspect we have on the world. I wish those who seem to be against us would actually engage with us because I think there is some that's sort of shared ground there. I mean, yeah. I can't relate to growing up as a cisgender woman. I can't relate to that misogyny of the 70s, 80s. I didn't suffer that. And so there's no way to diminish that. And I wouldn't put myself in that place. But there are things about my experience that I think they're interesting as well. as yeah. and, and But there's no engagement on that subject at the moment because everybody's sitting in bunkers throwing things at each other aren't they so well i had, um, a, had a fascinating conversation um last, last week because we didn't we had the lovely joseph harwood on last week dropping in to have a chat and i don't think you were here with us but um i think um i was talking to him about an experience i've had about identity and this idea of identity and i've been talking to a quite a scary guy who didn't believe that trans people existed and didn't right. believe in the concept of identity and thought it was all a lot of rubbish and such like it's quite a yeah quite an exciting conversation i say exciting as a euphemism for <laughs> quite scary yeah, um, yeah but we got onto the subject of football and and his patriotism and he saw himself as a very very strong football supporter i won't say the football team because it doesn't really matter but he was such a strong supporter of this football team he couldn't identify he couldn't envisage marrying someone or who supported the other side he couldn't he couldn't wear the colors of the Derby rival in there in that city, and I said, "Well, how, how, what's that about?" He said, "This football team is part of my identity." I said, yeah. 
So you don't believe in transness, which is much deeper, but you do believe that you are that fan forever because you identify them. And also, he also had tattoos of the St. George flag all over the place. And I said, you're strongly British, aren't you? He said, yes, yeah, I'm British through and through. I said, you know, that's identity, don't you? He said, yeah, I'm a... And I said, you do realize these things are much more superficial. So if you believe in that, why can't you believe in transness? And he actually stopped and thought about it and then said, well, I would I don't need to trouble yeah. you with what he said next. But no, um, no, but it is fascinating how people can hold these very strange ideas. And it's that idea that men look at women in a very different way to the way that women look at women and women look at men. And it is fascinating. To, it's a fascinating to see it. It's really fascinating to see. Even, even items of male clothing have, sorry, female clothing have a visceral reaction on men. The sort of like run screaming from the building if you talk about certain certain things. Quite peculiar. <laughs> Quite peculiar. So that leads us on to my last question from the day. And um, you know I'm a Strictly fan. So luckily Jane from London. Love the Strictly. Is it Jane? From London has said, what do we think of the current situation with Leighton Williams and the fact that he wore a wig and a dress in this week's Strictly Come Dancing. So I don't know if you're an aficionado and I can now talk for six and a half hours about Strictly Come Dancing. So you can join in if you want, but oh, I to love have Strictly. Your review. I was there from the very first series. Love Strictly. Uh, love Strictly. Um, um, no, I think it's been, well, two things. I think the recent inclusion of same-sex couples has been amazing. You know, and it is really open, and which, you know, uh, you know, of course, there was some stuff in the um, the bottom end of the internet on Daily Mail articles against it and all that sort of stuff, but nobody's really having any problem with it now. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, with the current couple with Leighton Williams and uh, Nikita, Nikita um, uh, the partner. Is they are swapping it up sometimes. Uh, Leighton is wearing, and it's a, and, and almost in a sense, if you look at Strictly anyway, they're wearing, you know, particularly on some of the theme nights, they're all wearing fancy dress anyway. Yeah. So, whatever, whatever that is, but um, wearing their clothes are appropriate for the dance is what, um, what he's doing, right? So, if it works better for that dance, being a ballroom dance to have a big skirt and and something that's more kind of dress and so forth then that's what you go for and i think in all the dances it's been slightly different and i think um i haven't read that if there's been any fuss around it or not but oh, i just think has. oh has yes that. has huge <laughs> fuss and i think it's the fact that I, I, I think it was the last one where i had a wig on and was dancing yeah. in female shoes which he's done a couple of times and um and a full skirt and such like because he was acting yes. a role i think i forget which role it, was, it was yeah yeah uh, and yeah it, yes uh, yeah. yeah and of course but that suited the dance so yeah but and the fact but that the women somebody, uh, Angela Rippon, was wearing a trouser suit. And exactly. It's, it's quite peculiar, this. And that's what I mean about there are certain items of clothing that viscerally affect people. Where, you know, it's really quite, it's quite interesting. And you look on the Facebook groups and people are saying things like, oh, a brilliant dancer, but I can't wear, I can't see it. Why, why is he dressed up as a woman? You know, why? Why, why is that necessary? You know, why is that? Not, why, and then you'll have people saying, well, if people can wear what they want. Oh, no, no, that's no. Wearing a wig and what, what's that? What, what's that all about? Tights. Why it, are they wearing tights, for God's sake? You don't why need to is wear any tights. of it? Why is any of it? None of it is. It's all an artificial construct. The whole thing is. So why? I, I think it's brilliant because I think this is a fourth series where they've had same-sex couples. And um, certainly the same-sex male couples haven't previously they've tended to wear 
you know, the most androgynous or, or, or matching outfits. This is the first time somebody's taken that step to, to actually um, wear skirts and dresses. And I think it works brilliantly. And I think it will be a fuss for a week or two and then yeah. it will be forgotten about because... Well, people forget Nicola Adams, don't they? And when Nicola Adams... Was yeah, Nicola Adams. With yeah. a same-sex couple, happened to be female this time. And, um, and of course, Nicola Adams rocked up in, in yeah. dress suits. And pants Absolutely. and male spats and everything. And there was never this problem. And, and and really, when people talk about the trans issue, really, people are talking about trans femme people, because actually, it's, it's I, I don't know, I'm not trans masks, I don't know. Uh, and I'm sure they have their own issues. I don't understand them, because I've not, I've not had that lived experience. But there isn't the, there isn't the vitriol, is there? There isn't the vitriol no, no, that's in that's, that. That's... But that's the problem in the UK just at the moment and where everybody's jumping on and, um, you know, and, you know, I guess you could analyze some of it to the stuff around drag and anti-drag stuff that you yeah. see and all the nonsense around that. Maybe. Um, I still think it's a minority. I still think people will judge the dancers on the dancers. You know, you, you, for, you know, he's a great dancer. I think mean, it's more the force that he's had a, you know, a bit of a background in, in, uh, but most of the actors and stuff have had some background in dance. Well, he's not going to win. I mean, this is what people forget. The, the best dancer rarely wins strictly. No, that's right. The, the, it's always rarely. the person on the journey, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to a degree, you know. Um, so, you know, yeah, he probably won't win. But it doesn't mean, you know, it's not valid. Because, you know, I can see why they need to make sure they've got some good dancers um, amongst the cast. But, yeah, I, I, I hadn't... So I, I'm, I'm probably not avoiding social media a bit at the moment. So I hadn't noticed that there was that force. I oh, just yeah. thought it was brilliant because I just thought it looked fabulous and it suited the dance, you know, otherwise, otherwise the way the dances, you know, the traditional ballroom dances, they're a disadvantage in some respects. If, you know, in the Paso or, or, or some of those dances, he's not able to wear a skirt or a dress because yeah. that's part of that dance and part of the, how, how it works in that respect. Yeah, I mean, you can do it as both is the same, but you know, why have that, that restriction? Um, and, and yeah, to, it's complete nonsense to... when it's a, a sometimes on a theme night when they're in ridiculous. Yeah. You know, how dare they dress up as an animal? I mean, it's just it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, it's like the, the big of... thing on the Rings of Power, isn't it? When people were complaining to Lenny Henry about <laughs> hobbits being black, and he's saying, "You listen to what you're saying. That you're complaining that hobbits were black. This is a <laughs> fantasy series, and you're quibbling about the fact that hobbits, hobbits, you know, they're not real." <laughs> No, no, but that, that's always the case. You know, it's the same with a female doctor. You have no problem. You know, there can't be a female doctor. Well, the doctor's got two hearts. I mean, all of it's all of it's nonsense. But it's all it's all just um, stupid background noise, as far as I'm concerned. It all comes I'm back, hoping it doesn't have. It, it all comes back to the episode that we really must get on record, which is actually. We need to go back to Star Trek to get the. Oh God! I think to, I think our audience. Uh, I, I, I'm sure are clamouring for it. Yeah. Well, well you hopefully we get some really... questions about that. You never know about the impact of Star Trek on transness. That, that would get us. <laughs> that would get us going. And, then, and if would... anybody else wants to send in questions, you can. Of course, you can send them to me at Transvox, uh, Julian at Transvox.co.uk. More than welcome. Or um, Julian Russell seventy seven at yahoo.com. Feel free. And um, we'll collect some more. Maybe one episode we'll do all questions because we've got quite a few in, this, in a backlog now, Jen. So we should oh, really do that. 
It's nice oh, that people definitely. can be bothered to send an email to actually respond to them. No, I think it's really heartwarming, yes. Yeah, it is. And talking about warm hearts, I think it's time I headed off. And uh, Me too. The next meeting calls. So see you, see you next week. Been great as always. See you, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transvox. It's been a joy to have you with us. Um, if you want to um, make contact with us, you can contact us at gillian at transvox.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the work we do, please go to Patreon and go to page Transvox. And all of our money goes to our nominated charity. And Jen, you've chosen the charity for the next number of episodes. Which one have you chosen? Our charity is called Beyond Reflections, which is a charity that provides support and counselling to trans people, non-binary people and their friends and their families across the UK. An amazing charity doing some amazing work, really important. So please, if you can give. Great. And if you want to go and have a look at Beyond Reflections, it's beyond-reflections.org.uk. And uh, But as I say, if you'd like to make a contribution to what we're doing, because we love to help the people who help us. Uh, again, if you've got ideas for um, the show, things you'd like to ask us, questions, comments, applause, or um, brickbats, feel free to send it all Absolutely. in to Gillian at transvox.co.uk. Until the next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.